Greetings, my lovable weirdos. My name's Matilda, and welcome to Chantress Reads, a podcast where I read aloud stories of the fantastic and the macabre. If you enjoy what you hear, please consider supporting me on Patreon, as I plan on keeping Chantress Reads completely ad-free. Subscribers will have access to one additional reading per month, as well as the option to request what I should read next. In this week's episode, I will be reading a satirical short story that questions the narrative we've been told of exactly how far Western civilization has advanced in terms of scientific and industrial revolution. Some Words with a Mummy, Part 1 by Edgar Allan Poe The symposium of the preceding evening had been a little too much for my nerves. I had a wretched headache, and was desperately drowsy. Instead of going out, therefore, to spend the evening as I had proposed, it occurred to me that I could not do a wiser thing than just eat a mouthful of supper and go immediately to bed. A light supper, of course. I am exceedingly fond of Welsh rabbit. More than a pound at once, however, may not at all times be advisable. Still... There can be no material objection to two, and really between two and three, there is merely a single unit of difference. I ventured, perhaps, upon four. My wife will have it five, but clearly she has confounded two very distinct affairs. The abstract number five I am willing to admit, but concretely... It has reference to bottles of brown stout, without which, in way of condiment, Welsh rabbit is to be askewed. Having thus concluded a frugal meal, and donned my nightcap, with the serene hope of enjoying it till noon the next day, I placed my head upon the pillow, and through the aid of a capital conscience, fell into a profound slumber forthwith. But when were the hopes of humanity fulfilled? I could not have completed my third snore when there came a furious ringing at the street doorbell, and then an impatient thumping at the knocker, which awakened me at once. In a minute afterward, and while I was still rubbing my eyes, my wife thrust in my face a note from my old friend, Dr. Pannoner. It ran thus, Come to me by all means, my dear good friend, as soon as you receive this. Come and help us to rejoice. At last, by long, persevering diplomacy, I have gained the assent of the directors of the city museum to my examination of the mummy. You know the one I mean. I have permission to unswath it and open it if desirable. A few friends only will be present. You, of course. The mummy is now at my house, and we shall begin to unroll it at eleven tonight. Yours ever, Pannoner. By the time I had reached the Pannoner, it struck me that I was as wide awake as a man need be. I leaped out of bed in an ecstasy, overthrowing all in my way, dressed myself with a rapidity truly marvellous, and set off at the top of my speed for the doctor's. There, 
I found a very eager company assembled. They had been awaiting me with much impatience. The mummy was extended upon the dining table, and the moment I entered, its examination was commenced. It was one of a pair brought, several years previously, by Captain Arthur Sabertash, a cousin of Pannoners from a tomb near Elithias in the Libyan mountains, a considerable distance above Thebes on the Nile. The grottoes at this point, although less magnificent than the Theban sepulchres, are of higher interest on account of affording more numerous illustrations of the private lives of the Egyptians. The chamber from which our specimen was taken was said to be very rich in such illustrations, the walls being completely covered with fresco paintings and bas-reliefs, while statues, vases, and mosaic work of rich patterns indicated the vast wealth of the deceased. The treasure had been deposited in the museum precisely in the same condition in which Captain Sabertash had found it. That is to say, the coffin had not been disturbed. For eight years it had thus stood, subject only externally to public inspection. We had now, therefore, the complete mummy at our disposal, and to those who are aware how very rarely the unransacked antique reaches our shores, it will be evident, at once, that we had great reason to congratulate ourselves upon our good fortune. Approaching the table, I saw on it a large box, or case, nearly seven feet long, and perhaps three feet wide, by two feet and a half deep. It was oblong, not coffin-shaped. The material was at first supposed to be the wood of the sycamore, platinous, but upon cutting into it, we found it to be pasteboard, or more properly, papier-mâché, composed of papyrus. It was thickly ornamented with paintings, representing funeral scenes and other mournful subjects, interspersed among which, in every variety of position, were certain series of hieroglyphical characters intended, no doubt, for the name of the departed. By good luck, Mr. Glidden formed one of our party and he had no difficulty in translating the letters, which were simply phonetic, and represented the word Elemistachio. We had some difficulty in getting this case open without injury, but, having at length accomplished the task, we came to a second, coffin-shaped, and very considerably less in size than the exterior one, but resembling it precisely in every other aspect. The interval between the two was filled with resin, which had, in some degree, defaced the colours of the interior box. Upon opening this latter, which we did quite easily, we arrived at a third case, also coffin-shaped, and varying from the second in no particular, except in that of its material, which was cedar, and still emitted the peculiar and highly aromatic odour of that wood. Between the second and the third case, there was no interval, the one fitting accurately within the other. Removing the third case, we discovered and took out the body itself. We had expected to find it, as usual, enveloped in frequent rolls or bandages of linen, but in place of these, we found a sort of sheath made of papyrus and coated with a layer of plaster 
thickly gilt and painted. The paintings represented subjects connected with the various supposed duties of the soul and its presentation to different divinities, with numerous identical human figures intended, very probably, as portraits of the persons embalmed. Extending from head to foot was a columnar or perpendicular inscription in phonetic hieroglyphics, giving again his name and titles, and the names and titles of his relations. Around the neck thus ensheathed was a collar of cylindrical glass beads, diverse in color and so arranged as to form images of deities, of the scarabaeus, etc., with the winged globe. Around the small of the waist was a similar collar or belt. Stripping off the papyrus, we found the flesh in excellent preservation, with no perceptible odor. The color was reddish. The skin was hard, smooth, and glossy. The teeth and hair were in good condition. The eyes, it seemed, had been removed, and glass ones substituted, which were very beautiful and wonderfully lifelike, with the exception of somewhat too determined a stare. The fingers and the nails were brilliantly gilded. Mr. Glidden was of opinion, from the redness of the epidermis, that the embalmment had been effected altogether by asphaltum, but on scraping the surface with a steel instrument and throwing into the fire some of the powder thus obtained, the flavor of camphor and other sweet-scented gums became apparent. We searched the corpse very carefully for the usual openings through which the entrails are extracted, but to our surprise we could discover none. No member of the party was at that period aware that entire or unopened mummies are not infrequently met. The brain it was customary to withdraw through the nose, the intestines through an incision in the side. The body was then shaved, washed, and salted, then laid aside for several weeks, when the operation of embalming, properly so called, began. As no trace of an opening could be found, Dr. Pernoner was preparing his instruments for dissection, when I observed that it was then past two o'clock. Hereupon, it was agreed to postpone the internal examination until the next evening, and we were about to separate for the present, when someone suggested an experiment or two with the voltaic pile. The application of electricity to a mummy three or four thousand years old at the least, was an idea, if not very sage, still sufficiently original, and we all caught at it at once, about one-tenth in earnest and nine-tenths in jest. We arranged a battery in the doctor's study and conveyed thither the Egyptian. It was only after much trouble that we succeeded in laying bare some portions of the temporal muscle which appeared of less stony rigidity than other parts of the frame, but which, as we had anticipated, of course gave no indication of galvanic susceptibility when brought in contact with the wire. This the first trial, indeed, seemed decisive, and with a hearty laugh at our own absurdity, we were bidding each other good night, when my eyes, happening to fall upon those of the mummy, were there immediately riveted in amazement. My brief glance, in fact, 
had sufficed to assure me that the orbs which we had supposed to be glass and which were originally noticeable for a certain wild stare were now so far covered by the lids that only a small portion of the tunica abuginea remained visible with a shout i called attention to the fact and it became immediately obvious to all i cannot say that i was alarmed at the phenomenon because alarmed is in my case not exactly the word it is possible however that but for the brown stout i might have been a little nervous as for the rest of the company they really made no attempt at concealing the downright fright which possessed them dr pnoner was a man to be pitied mr glidden by some peculiar process rendered himself invisible mr silk buckingham i fancy will scarcely be so bold as to deny that he made his way upon all fours under the table after the first shock of astonishment however we resolved as a matter of course upon further experiment forthwith our operations were now directed against the great toe of the right foot we made an incision over the outside of the exterior of sesamoidium pollicis pedis and thus got at the root of the abductor muscle readjusting the battery we now applied the fluid to the bisected nerves when with a movement of exceeding lifelikeness the mummy first drew up its right knee so as to bring it nearly in contact with the abdomen and then straightening the limb with inconceivable force bestowed a kick upon dr Pannoner which had the effect of discharging that gentleman like an arrow from a catapult through a window into the street below we rushed out en masse to bring in the mangled remains of the victim but had the happiness to meet him upon the staircase coming up in an unaccountable hurry brimful of the most ardent philosophy and more than ever impressed with the necessity of prosecuting our experiment with vigour and with zeal it was by his advice accordingly that we made upon the spot a profound incision into the tip of the subject's nose which the doctor himself laying violent hands upon it pulled it into a vehement contact with the wire morally and physically figuratively and literally was the effect electric in the first place the corpse opened its eyes and winked very rapidly for several minutes as does mr barnes in the pantomime in the second place it sneezed in the third it sat upon end in the fourth it shook its fist in dr Pannoner's face in the fifth turning to messieurs glidden and buckingham it addressed them in very capital egyptian thus i must say gentlemen that i am as much surprised as i am mortified at your behaviour of dr Pannoner, nothing better was to be expected he is a poor little fat fool who knows no better i pity and forgive him but you mr glidden and you silk who have travelled and resided in egypt until one might imagine you to the manner born you i say who have been so much among us that you speak egyptian fully as well i think as you write your mother tongue you who i have always been led to regard as the firm friend of the mummies 
i really did anticipate more gentlemanly conduct from you what am i to think of your standing quietly by and seeing me thus unhandsomely used what am i to suppose by your permitting tom dick and harry to strip me of my coffins and my clothes in this wretchedly cold climate in what light to come to the point am i to regard your aiding and abetting that miserable little villain dr prenonner in pulling me by the nose it will be taken for granted no doubt that upon hearing the speech under the circumstances we all either made for the door or fell into violent hysterics or went off in a general swoon one of these three things was i say to be expected indeed each and all of these lines of conduct might have been very plausibly pursued and upon my word i am at a loss to know how or why it was that we pursued neither of the one or the other but perhaps the true reason is to be sought in the spirit of the age which proceeds by the rule of contraries altogether and is now usually admitted as the solution of everything in the way of paradox and impossibility or perhaps after all it was only the mummy's exceedingly natural and matter-of-course air that divested his words of the terrible however this may be the facts are clear and no member of our party betrayed any very particular trepidation or seemed to consider that anything had gone very especially wrong for my part i was convinced it was all right and merely stepped aside out of the range of the egyptian's fists dr prenonner thrust his hands into his breeches pockets looked hard at the mummy and grew excessively red in the face mr glidden stroked his whiskers and drew up the collar of his shirt mr buckingham hung down his head and put his right thumb into the left corner of his mouth the egyptian regarded him with a severe countenance for some minutes and at length with a sneer said why don't you speak mr buckingham did you hear what i asked you or not do take your thumb out of your mouth mr buckingham hereupon gave a slight start took his right thumb out of the left corner of his mouth and by way of indemnification inserted his left thumb into the right corner of the aperture above mentioned not being able to get an answer from mr b the figure turned peevishly to mr glidden and in a peremptory tone demanded in general terms what we all meant mr glidden replied at great length in phonetics and but for the deficiency of american printing offices in hieroglyphical type it would afford me much pleasure to record here in the original the whole of his very excellent speech i may as well take this occasion to remark that all the subsequent conversation in which the mummy took a part was carried on in primitive egyptian through the medium so far as concerned myself and other untravelled members of the company through the medium i say of messieurs glidden and buckingham as interpreters these gentlemen spoke the mother tongue of the mummy with inimitable fluency and grace but i could not help observing that owing no doubt to the introduction of images entirely modern and of course entirely novel to the stranger the two travellers were reduced occasionally to the employment of sensible forms for the purpose of conveying a particular meaning 
Mr. Glidden, at one period, for example, could not make the Egyptian comprehend the term politics until he sketched upon the wall with a bit of charcoal a little carbuncle-nosed gentleman out at elbows standing upon a stump with his left leg drawn back, right arm thrown forward, with his fist shut, the eyes rolled up toward heaven, and the mouth open at an angle of ninety degrees. Just in the same way, Mr. Buckingham failed to convey the absolutely modern idea, wig, until, at Dr. Pannoner's suggestion, he grew very pale in the face and consented to take off his own. It will be readily understood that Mr. Glidden's discourse turned chiefly upon the vast benefits accruing to science from the unrolling and disemboweling of mummies, apologizing upon this score for any disturbance that might have been occasioned him in particular, the individual mummy called Elemistachio, and concluding with a mere hint, for it could scarcely be considered more, that, as these little matters were now explained, it might be as well to proceed with the investigation intended. Here, Dr. Pannoner made ready his instruments. Thank you for listening to part one of Some Words with a Mummy. Tune in next week for the conclusion of the story. Until next time, good night.